We really are proud of those kids. Appreciate so much those of y'all that have served there. I, I don't know if y'all saw this pretty, pretty cool little sword right here, right? Like, it, it, what is up with us giving swords to children? <laughs> so uh, the Bible actually calls this book that we're going to study this morning the Sword of the Spirit. For Matt, who was just up here, he, he leads all of our children, not only at this campus, but he, he oversees it over all the campuses. It's, it's just his passion for your kids to know the word. And, and the Bible calls it a sword, which on one hand, hand sounds really dangerous. And uh, sometimes Christians use this in a really dangerous kind of way. They're haphazard with it because it's really sharp. It can do damage, unnecessary damage at times because... The holder doesn't know what the heck he's doing. So we would love for our kids to have God's word embedded in their mind from, from the time that they're children. Some of those kids, you can celebrate those six verses. I can still, I remember more verses when I was, from when I was a kid than I do as an adult, right? Like they just stuck in my mind and they formed me. This, this thing, I don't know how, if you know how it worked in the time that the Bible was written. The sword was the authority. Like you walk down the street and there's a Roman guard, he's got his sword on, he's the authority. <laughs> and he had something powerful to demonstrate his authority. So your kids, my, my, my kids in the past, we're trusting them with the beginnings of how to handle this authority. It's really, really kind of exciting. Here's the weird part, is that Christians throughout the years, sometimes they start learning the authority and they think that they're the authority. And I watched Matt and heard him. He wants to make sure your kids understand that the Bible is the authority. You're not the authority. Like it gives you some authority, right? Like you finally know something because God wrote it. And so you're kind of the authority, carrying the authority. But which A is capitalized? Because a lot of believers I know, the capitalized A is them. I'm the authority with the authority. The Bible hear it being kind of swung around a lot, and it kind of, it, it's their identity. Not Christ, not God, but their, the power of what they know. So we're really excited for our kids to learn the Bible and it be the authority, and then in essence, they come up under the authority, which is really what we're doing right now. We read the Bible and teach it every Sunday, and our expectation is that it's the authority. I'm not the authority. If I'm the authority at all, it's a very tiny little A, and I'm speaking from the authority, and it should bless us. We've been in the life of David. I think sometimes that we think that the Bible is only the authority in the sense that it gives us very, very precise direction. And it is that at times. But a lot of the Bible, if I remember right, 84% of the Bible is narrative. The majority of the Bible is narrative. It's story. And so you hear these stories about these characters, flawed characters in the Bible other than Jesus, and we're supposed to remember the stories, not necessarily the exact words of the stories in the Old Testament. Remember the stories, and the stories, they form us. And so we're, we've been spending weeks in this biography about a man named David, and uh, he is a terrific character to watch. He's entertaining. I mean, it, 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 it would make for great entertainment for you to take in in all sorts of ways and has throughout the years. But his story is designed for you to sit up under it and for it to have authority over you. What I think's pretty cool is uh, on, on a Father's Day, 
the passage that we're going to read today speaks a ton about authority. And again, sometimes dads either don't want to be the authority or they're the capital A authority. Here's what I need to remind every dad in, in the room. Here, bad news is you are the authority. Good news is you're just a deputy, right? You can think, you can think Barney Fife if you want to, right? Like, you ain't the sheriff. You're the deputy, right? Like, you're the deputy authority. The authority is God the Father. And we don't know what his design was, but we, we know what his design was. We don't know why, but he made you fathers the authority in your home. And so now you got to figure out, how do I do that with a small a? How can I be a deputy under the authority so I do it with humility because I know I'm under authority? And at the same time, jump to, step to the weight of authority. Let me pray for you right now. We'll look at this passage a little bit. Bunch of dads in the room, Lord. Thank you for them. Thank you uh, for putting them in that spot, for trusting them with that responsibility. And oh, we honor them today, Lord. We're thankful for them. Lord, we know our little world we live in right here in our country has far too few fathers that fight for it. So I pray you'd encourage them today as we read this passage. This passage for all of us, Lord, you wrote it. So we pray as we read it that you would speak to us, be man or woman or child, that you would uh, teach us through your word. Even now, Lord, we submit to the authority of your word and pray that you would, uh, you would train us in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been following the story, we're in, in some books in the Old Testament. There's a first and a second Samuel. There's not two Samuels. There's one Samuel. He's just got two books. All right. So first Samuel, second Samuel, and first Samuel, we see this king uh, be put in place over the people of a nation called Israel. The first king of Israel. Anybody? Anybody? First king of Israel? King Saul. Who puts him in there? The people want him in there because he's, he's tall. God, actually, though, in, in uh, chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, it chooses him as, and now the people want him, but God chooses him, and so now Saul is what? He's the deputy authority, right? He's the leader of a whole nation, but he's under the ultimate authority, and he does his thing for a little while. It doesn't take him many chapters before he decides he wants to be the authority. He wants to put the capital letter on his name. He don't want to be a deputy anymore. He wants to be a sheriff. And he goes his own way, and he rebels against the authority in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. In chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, God reminds him who's the authority, and he anoints a new king. God says, I don't need you. I'm the authority. And so he anoints this little boy. If you guys remember, the star of our biography, David, he anoints him the king. He's 15, we think, 16. We don't know. He could be as young as 12. He's anointed the king. Saul still is the king, right, on paper. But God, the authority, anoints David king. And David, David's just, man, he's just a shepherd boy. This is a massive deal when you read the scripture. This whole idea of authority. Not something that we as Americans that were established on the Declaration of Independence want to hear a whole lot about. Like, we want to be an authority unto ourselves. I was outside of our church one day, and somebody was complaining. This was years ago, was complaining about our leadership. 
right? And which, you know, there's some complaints to be had, certainly with my leadership, but he was complaining about somebody else's leadership. I'm like, man, go somewhere else. He's like, you can't say that. I'm like, I just did. Go somewhere else. And he's like, well, I can't go there because of this, and I can't go there because of that, and I can't go there because of this. I'm like, you're going to have to go home, bro. You had a church at home. Your wife don't want to listen to you, but at least you can be an authority over yourself. Because that's what you want. You want want to put the capital A on you. All of us do that. Saul did it, and God moves him aside. And here's a whole day that he's been anointed king, but he's just a shepherd boy. So title of a message. I never title a message, but this felt like like one of them good titles. I got to use it, right? So I'm going to use one title a year. This is Wait for the Wait. Pretty good, anybody. Wait for the wait. (laughs) W-A-I-T for the W-E-I-G-H-T. Cheryl's more impressed that I can spell it. Like, wait (laughs) for the wait. This is pretty interesting because David is anointed king, and it's going to be a long time before he becomes the king. Let's just say he's anointed at 15. Well, he he becomes king just over his tribe at 30. So this is a 15-year wait, and he doesn't become the king overall until he's 37 and a half, we think. We don't know, 37-ish. So there's this long wait until this anointing comes uh, to fruition, and he just stays under Saul's authority even though he's the coming king. There's a, uh, a Chinese Christian that had this massive impact on that country. It's uh, uh, Watchman Nee lived 100 or so years ago, and I, he, he died only about 50 years ago. If you ever read his stuff, it's, it's just terrific. He says this. He talks a lot about authority. He says uh, this. Authority is a, a tremendous matter. If a man is to serve God, he must submit to authority. Only those who submit to authority can they themselves be authority. He, he basically is saying authority is a massive tool in God's hand on developing men and women and how you respond to it. So we're going to have a little fun with the letter W, and we're going to talk about David waiting for the weight. But first, he kind of learns to wear the weight. Another W, how about that? He wears the weight. And, and, and what's pretty interesting, he's anointed king, but what's his responsibility when he's anointed king? sheep. And so for a lot of you, like where you are right now is where you are. You can be responsible for your radius and uh, be absolutely right before God. We see a young man with some sheep. As a matter of fact, you kind of get this idea that he loves his sheep. You actually risk his life for the sheep. He kills a lion and a bear protecting the sheep. He makes sure the sheep are fed. And how's he doing all this sheep taking care? He's doing all of this under his daddy, Jesse's authority. How do we know? I don't know if you remember this. David's on the way to visit his brothers. And what is he doing? He's taking bread to his brothers because his daddy told him to. Now, he's bad enough in a minute. He's going to kill Goliath. He's that bad. He already, he's already killed a lion and a bear, and yet he's staying under his daddy's authority because he's 16, 17, I don't know. Malachi's not here today. I need him to hear this. Right? Like, like he's still under my authority. He cut the grass for me yesterday, right, because I didn't want to. No other reason. I didn't want to cut the grass. Yes, sir. Hey, that's, that's good stuff. Right? Like, it's a part of I, I'm trying to develop my son. 
and not cut the grass. But like those, those things, are, like it's a massive deal. And this young boy, David, is under his father's authority, even though he's been anointed king and he carries out that responsibility. And it's really underrated how developmental it is to wear the weight you got, be responsible for what you have, and stay under the authority that's in place. Let me just say, everybody in this room is at least responsible for themselves. Like, you, like I'm not a leader. I'm like, you leading yourself. How are you leading yourself? How much time you spend with the Lord this week? How important is it for you to be in community? Because if you can get there, most of you can get your mom and daddy to take you there. Like, how important is it? Because you can lead yourself to those places. I always am shocked that uh, when I was leading Radius White Knoll, there was this high school boy that would drive to church every Sunday by himself. You probably got a couple here. Sit alone. He, he thought it was important to be there. He led himself. It was amazing. I always, it always made me smile. When I look out there, see him. He's, he's got himself. Nobody else helped him get there. He got there on his own. For the younger people in the room, you're responsible for school. That's something like, that's under your authority. Like, you know, the teacher's the boss in the classroom, right? But you can get your stuff done. Most of us in America, no matter the age, got a little bit of resource. It's under our authority, right? Even if it's just a couple bucks, it's under our authority. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to use it? Sadly, oftentimes we get so frustrated with not having the capital A on our name that we, we can't hardly operate. So we don't manage what we got. We're already mad at whoever's above us in authority. I saw this amazing video clip the other day. It was a college boy. He had just done a job. It took him three hours. He had, I won't tell the details because it was local. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he had a three-hour job, and he was filthy when he was done. So he videoed himself. Like, which I, 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 like he's got his camera out. He's videoing himself. He's saying, there's no way I'm doing this for $15 an hour. And he's sending it to the customer around the boss. And I'm going, that's funny right there because I'm not going to pay him anything if he sends me that. Like, I, you just lost $45 worth of work. But he, somehow he thinks he's the capital A authority when he's the one doing the work, the dirty work. He's, it, this is just a season. If you understand this, some of you guys have been around for a little while. He, this kid no, has no idea how that season is developing. He don't owe him nothing. He just worked for three hours. He ain't work a full day. He's tired and dirty. <laughs> Shocker. That's what work is. <laughs> but the reality is those seasons of work and difficulty and, and not a lot of pay, being, you're being developed as a man, and it's a gift. In your 20s, it's certainly true. It can be frustrating at times. I was certainly frustrated with it at times. But you got to learn to wear a little bit of weight at a time. And so if you can't work $15 an hour, you can't work for $25 an hour. you got to learn how to wear that weight. you got to do what your boss says. And sure enough, you don't send a video to the customer around the boss. Like you got to learn to wear the weight. And as we watch David's story, he wears a little bit of weight and then a little bit more weight and then a little bit more weight. And over the course of 20 years, becomes prepared to be the king. And it's a process. Yes, the weight for the weight. First Samuel 
has some really terrific stories uh, that, I don't know, I, I, I remember having heard as a kid, and, and they, they kind of they wash over you. So younger people in the room, take this story, like stick it in your mind. Folks that have a few years on you, if, you, if your mind still works good enough, like stick it in there. Make it, make, make it wash over you because David is going to intentionally deny the opportunity to become the king. He's going to do it multiple times. And yet he wants to be the king, which I think is this really cool dynamic. He wants to be the king. He's been anointed to be the king. So he wants the weight, but he's going to wait for the weight because he wants God to give it to him. Crazy story, 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you remember how this thing's gone, David kills Goliath. King Saul's furious because the people are singing songs about David and not enough about him. And so he's jealous and, and David has to flee and he hides for years. We find him in, in multiple caves. In this particular story, King Saul's got spies out. They're looking for David. They've located David. They're kind of in the vicinity of where David is hiding out. And we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 3. At the place where the road passes the sheepfold, some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in the, that very cave. So Saul goes in. The Bible says to relieve himself. I'm thinking David's guys are slapping each other going, oh, crap. That's the best dad joke I got today. Like, some of y'all got to speed it up. Good grief. <laughs> I'm going to hear about that at lunch. Uh, <laughs> verse 4, he says, now's your opportunity. David's men whispered to him, today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy in, in your power to do with you with, as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. It's a really interesting moment. This is absolutely true. Um, David's in this position to take the kingdom, to become the king. And his men are with him. He's got 600 men. I don't know how big this cave is. It must have been pretty big. Maybe just a few men are with him. We don't know. But they're whispering to him, here's your chance. And what do they say? God is giving you this opportunity to become the king. Go kill him. It's a really, really enticing argument. And that will always be true. There will always be somebody telling you not to wait on God. And they might even say, God is doing this with the circumstances around. I still remember sitting in an audience. I was the director of recruitment for a college, and the president was speaking, and a kid that I recruited was sitting beside me, and he leaned over to me and he said, you should be the president. I can still remember it. That's how much it meant to me. I'm like, because you know what I thought in my head? Yes, I should. <laughs> I'm 23. I know a lot. <laughs> it was like this moment where at least I was smart enough to keep my mouth shut and never repeat those words until I was 54, right? Like, like, like there's this thing when he said it, it like tickled something inside of me. And in many ways, he was saying you could lead this thing better. It was a Christian college. He, was, he didn't claim God told him, but I could certainly move there quickly because I wanted the weight. I did. I wanted the weight at 23 years old. And this kid, I don't know why he said that, but I, it, it just it grabbed me, and I had to do something with it. I had to put it away. Otherwise, it would have made me a terrible director of recruitment, and I would have been wrong to the guy who was, I was under his authority. 
But David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. It even bothered him that he snipped off the corner of the robe. He didn't have scissors, probably a knife or a sword. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill King Saul. Who's he under authority? He's under Saul's authority, and he cares about the king's authority. But as you read it, you're like, he's under God's authority. So he takes just a little corner of the robe. Kids in the room, amazing. He sneaks up. He cuts this little corner of the robe. Saul goes back out to be with his men. And if you keep reading the story in a little bit, after Saul gets far enough away, David comes out and shouts to him. And he tells him, hey, I'm for you, king. And he holds up that little corner of the robe. And he goes, I didn't kill you. I could have killed you. But I didn't kill you because I love you and I, I respect you. Like, like respect you in the sense that you're in this position of authority. His exact words. I will never harm the king. He's the Lord's anointed. It's this powerful picture of a young man who wants to wait, but he'll wait for the wait. Great lesson for us today. Now, this want the wait thing, let me just demonstrate out of his life. Hey, when, when he walks up and Goliath's taunting God, he's ready because he's been wearing a little bit of weight at the time, and he wanted to wait, and he goes out there and handles business. When King Saul puts him in place to lead his army in, in certain battles, he's ready. He can lead. He can fight. He can lead, and he, he wears the weight in that situation. When he becomes king just over his tribe, Judah, he steps to it. He takes on the responsibility, and he, he's ready. He wanted to wait. When he becomes a king over all 12 tribes and makes Israel the greatest nation of that era, he, he was ready to step in. He wanted to wait. But he waits for the wait. Let me just say this about men in our culture. Generally, we don't even want the wait. Right? Generally, we, we would just rather not have any wait. If you've watched any sitcom, I haven't watched any for years, but even 10 years ago, every sitcom dude, every dad, father, husband, he's just passive as heck. He don't want no wait. He wants his wife to carry the weight. He wants his kids to figure it out on their own. They, they portray him as, what? I mean, no nicer way to say it than the loser. He just wants to olay all the weight. He don't want to carry the weight. He, he just wants to have these things with no weight. No, this is no question, man. Marriage is weighty. Anybody else? I had no idea. That thing, I got married young, that thing was... Weighty. I, I had never had anybody else disagree with all my opinions, right? Like, <laughs> I didn't know there were opinions. I thought it was just right. And somebody had another. I'm like, son of a gun. I didn't know you had to do it. Like, and you have this, like, all of a sudden you had to negotiate this thing as you learn to, to really co-lead a family. You have to die to yourself all the time when you take on the weight. Parenting certainly a weight. When you get a promotion, it's a weight. Some guys don't want to be promoted because they don't want to carry more weight. The church puts you in these spots to carry weight. To lead a small group here, you have to carry weight. There's a maturity part of the deal where you have to kind of meet a bar and then you have to care for these people other than the people at your house. And you're like, I don't need any more people to take care of. That's, it's weighty. So do you want the weight? 
we have elders at our churches. We have both directional elders that kind of oversee all the churches and, and shepherding elders that, that focus on each campus. The Bible says if someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. Interesting word, aspire. It's something that I want. I want to do it. Because this kingdom of God thing is really, really important to me. And so it becomes its desire, this want to. What do you want? Dads, moms, kids. Like, what are you aspiring to? King David, and at this point, just uh, a traveler David, he wanted to wait, but he's willing to wait for the wait. Our first church plant, we had this little apartment in, in uh, Clemson. And Cheryl and I, this is back when there were VCRs. I know, kids, you don't know what that is, but it was awesome. Uh, we rented, which you could also do. You didn't stream it. We rented uh, uh, The Lion King, and we watched it. And I'm pretty sure the Southern Baptists were boycotting Disney at that point. I'm not positive. We broke all the rules. We got Lion King. Cheryl felt guilty about it. I did not. And we're watching Lion King. So at the end... Cheryl's like, ah, she's so frustrated because, you know, the boycott kind of got in her head. So she's looking, that's so new agey. And, I, and she looked over at me. I'm on my knees, and I'm, I'm weeping. And, and, and the thing just moved me. I don't know. I don't know exactly. I'm a little odd that way. But, you know, the part where he's like kumatata or whatever the heck it is, like he's, he's singing and dancing and eating, eating some nasty, he's eating these bugs and so forth. And. And then he has this realization that he's the son of the king. And it hit me as I'm sitting there in this town where we wanted to plant a church, and I felt so unqualified that I was the son of a king. And not just some random king, but the king of glory. That's my dad. That's my dad. And I've been walking around here like some goofball eating caterpillars, right? Like I, I'm walking around this town like I have no authority, but I have this authority, but it's only in the capital A authority in the king. And if I walk in his authority, then perhaps somebody would be attracted to what we wanted to do to his glory. It was this really, we had this great conversation about it afterwards, just sitting in the idea. We wanted the wait, but we had to wait for the wait. Because he had to give it. Man, uh, even as I give you the pep talk of wanting to wait, let me remind you to weigh the weight. You remember the first time you saw the plus sign, Dad? Now that was weighty. <laughs> Anybody else? I saw the plus sign. I'm like, holy, what are we doing? It was, it, was, it was weighty, and it was really good to sit up under that weight and, and to ask myself if I was ready. If I wasn't, I had like nine months to get there, right? Uh, many of you have a job that you carry weight in, and when you took it, hopefully you, you counted the cost before you took it. I think it's really interesting that we talk a lot about a father wound. We don't talk a ton about mother wounds. You know why I think? I think it's because of that position of authority a father has. So when you take on that weight as a father, there's a potential of hurting people. When you come up short as a dad, when, you, uh, when you're in any way abusive as a dad, it's just, it's just devastating. 
So Father's Day, there's always that in a room. There's folks thinking about their dad in positive ways and thinking about those moments in negative ways and thinking about the father that they never had. So there's all that in the room. There's this thing called father wound. Lots of men, you, you read about it, and you'll watch grown men weep because of that authority that God put in our hands. It's very difficult to deliver. And so authority, like, you better weigh the weights. This thing ain't all, it ain't all giggles, right? I know in my job, I, I even have got a letter this week from a, a guy that I've hurt in the past. It doesn't really matter what the, how I hurt him. I certainly didn't do it intentionally, but nonetheless, it hurt him. And so if you're in a position of authority and you have, you're carrying this weight, then you have to carry that weight. You have to carry this weight of coming up short. You have to carry this weight of being accused of coming up short. You have to carry, you have to carry weight. But let, let me just say this. Like, weigh the weight. But if you keep the A small on your name and keep the A capital on his name, then you've got to want the weight for his glory, even though it might be difficult. There's another story. It's just two chapters later. David... Uh, still being hunted by Saul. And uh, David's got a couple spies out. He sees Saul coming in. So uh, he and this guy named Abishai, they want, they want to go see what's going on. <laughs> Clearly, David can fight. Saul's got 3,000 of his elite soldiers hunting for David, and David wants to go, like, check them out, like behind a tree or something. I don't know. Here's what the Bible says. So David and Abishai, two chapters later, went right into Saul's camp. They're all asleep. Saul's in the middle, which would have been standard, like the king's in the middle of 3,000 elite soldiers. His general is sleeping right beside him. And David has the bright idea to, like, walk into camp. Talk about tiptoeing. Went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. I always thought it was really interesting. That spear, you know, that's the same spear, perhaps, that he threw at David multiple times, and David dodged it. The spear stuck in the ground beside his head, and Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. And God was surely, and God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishai whispered to David. Here it is again. There's the spear. There's the bad guy who happens to be the king. Abishai says, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear, and I won't need to strike twice. David says, no, don't kill him. But who can... Remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one. Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he will die of old age or in battle. He says, I can wait. I'm going to do this under God's authority. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one that he has anointed, but take his spear and the jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. And so David took the spear and the jug of water that were near Saul's head, and he and Abishai got away without anyone seeing them or even waking up because the Lord had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. I love that last line. David's in here. Abishai wants him to take the life of the Lord's anointed, and David's like, if the Lord wasn't making all these dudes sleep, we'd be dead right now. How about let's obey the capital A authority and wait for the wait? And so he stays under the authority of God. You flip to the next book, 2 Samuel, which just continues the same story. It really picks up where David becomes the king. And you have this crazy moment where 
a uh, young man comes and delivers bad news to David. I don't know. Would it have been bad news to you? It would not have probably been bad news to me. He tells him that Saul has been killed in battle. Here's what happens. David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army and for the nation of Israel because they had died by the sword that day. The Lord finally does it through the Philistines. Saul's killed in battle. David hears the news, and it's bad news to him. His heart is so conditioned to stay under both man's authority and God's authority that when he hears Saul is dead, he weeps, and he doesn't eat for a day. This is crazy kind of humility that made him ready to be the greatest of all time of leaders for the Jewish people. That's why we take the month of May to pray. We sit back here in this office and strategize a little bit how to reach the Midlands. We got these ideas and goals. But at the end of the day here at Radius, we want to stay under God's authority. If you don't like our goals, then we want to throw them away. The strategies, they're great and they're worth time. But there is deep rest in being right with God. Not just being consumed with his mission. It seems to be the most important thing to God that we stay under his authority, which means that we, this crazy word, obey him. My experience of being under authority, that means that I have to wait a lot. I'm always waiting on somebody to give me permission, and it's frustrating. We used to uh, take the boys on bike rides, my two youngest JT and Malachi, we go for a ride, and JT would, you know, he, he's got to break every record. He'd fly up to the stop sign and stop, wait for me to catch up. Because he didn't know which way to go, but he got to the stop line, sign first. And Malachi just, and if you know the two of them, this is exactly their person. Oh, la, 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 I'm right with Dad. I'm having a good time with Dad. We get to the stop sign, and Malachi just keeps his motion going, and we go to the next stop sign, and JT, like, guns it, gets to the next stop sign, and stops. Like, he's miserable because it's hard to wait on the authority. He don't know where he's going. He's eight years old, right? Like, but the six-year-old, he's just rolling with his dad. I wish I could be more like, I'm a lot more like JT in that way. I want to run, get there, get together, and I got to wait, wait for the Lord, wait with the Lord to leave it. But either way, even if you're a hustle to the next stop sign, if you're disciplined to stay there and wait, man, it blesses everybody under your authority. Because stopping at the stop sign keeps your A small, even though you really want it to be big at some times. But if we could follow Malachi's example, probably a little healthier, just ride along as the Lord leads. I'll read you one psalm as we quit. David wrote 70-plus psalms. This one came to mind as I was reading this passage. This is Psalm chapter 40. Here's what he says. I waited patiently for the Lord. Imagine him sitting in that cave knowing he's been anointed king, waiting. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. Love that word, inclined. You imagine God leaning in to hear you? He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. Got a little more context for you when you hear the psalm, thinking about him in those caves and fleeing for his life most of the time, probably depressed on multiple occasions. And he set my feet on a rock, making my footsteps firm. 
Need dads. Need some help getting there. And he put a new song in my mouth. I always remembered it being heart. I don't know why. But I really like mouth because my mouth usually represents what's in my heart. A song of praise to God, put in the capital A on God's authority. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who made the Lord his trust. That's a great. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust, his rest, his definition of right, his authority. Check out the second part of verse 4. And has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. In other words, we haven't made somebody else our trust. I'm really happy to lead here. I know Russell's really happy to lead here, but we do not want to be your trust. We want the Lord to be your trust. We want to fight to be trustworthy, but we want the Lord to be your trust. He is your source. Not us. Many, O oh Lord, my God, are, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. June uh, 1st, 1863, Emancipation Proclamation. There was a guy who waited for the weights. Anybody remember Abraham Lincoln. You ever read his biography? Dude waited for the wait. When you see how he's elected, you're like, how did that even happen? How did this dude come out of nowhere and become the president of the United States of America? He waited for the wait. If you want to think wait for the wait, go back and watch a movie about Lincoln today. Or if you like reading, read about it. Like, like, like he waited for the wait, and then he was on display at one of the most crucial times in all of America. He was assassinated on April 15, 1865. Guess what happened two, two months later? Today, Juneteenth. First time I saw Juneteenth on my calendar, about three or four years ago, I'm like, what the heck is that? No idea what it is. Some of y'all don't know what it is today. But if it was your Declaration of Independence, if it was your July 4th, you would. It was a day where the last slaves were set free in Texas. Two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, and just two months after the man who waited for the wait to rid our country of that atrocity. God placed him in that spot. But if you read the story, he was developed with many failures. A lot of wood chops. Lots of books read to be ready for that moment. And praise God, he was. But we got a way better leader than that. A way better leader than King David. Every Sunday, we come and we celebrate the king who waited for the wait. Right? Adam and Eve sin in the garden, and we as, a, as humankind were, were sent to death. Adam dies later. Eve dies later. We're cursed to death, and the Bible actually says that we were all, that we all fall short of the glory of God. And we needed somebody to save us. 
God waited. His son waited. I, I would imagine Jesus loved mankind before he came. But he waited. He stayed under the authority of his father. He waited, and he came. And then when the father told him how to come, he's like, you want me to be do, uh, born of a woman? In obedience, it's born of a woman, right? Becomes one of us, all man. As he walks this earth, at some points the disciples whispering in his ear, like, you're the king. Take over this place. We'll go get the swords. We'll win. They, they don't know. Jesus snapped his finger and everybody fall out. He don't need no swords. He's the king. But instead he waits. Others, they try to kill him. And he kind of slides out of these multiple death uh, uh, times where folks are trying to kill him. Because he's waiting. He's not going to let them do it. He's not going to let them do it. He's waiting to be obedient to this thing that we celebrate every Sunday, to be obedient to the cross. He's waiting to carry the weight. And we celebrate it because he carried your sins on the cross. He carried your weight. He put all of your weight on his shoulders. So when you come up and take bread and juice or go back and take bread and juice, you celebrate someone, th this design of the good news where God saves mankind by carrying all the weight on his son. Praise God, huh? I'm going to do something a little weird. I'm going to sing a prayer over you. Literally may have never done this in my whole life. I keep thinking about this guy, David, and who he was. He could fight. He could lead. He was humble. He was willing to wait for God to put him in position of authority, but just knew God. So he wrote this song. I'll sing it to you as the band comes out. Close your eyes, please. That would help me a lot. <laughs> Maybe we'll close your ears. Uh, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock making my footsteps firm and he put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our god amen <laughs>